It's mommy martyrdom. Welcome to Christ in the Chaos, where a pastor's kid and a kids ministry director talk about raising a Christ-centered family. We're not sure we know what we're doing, but we are right in the thick of it. And this is how we're finding Christ in the Chaos. Welcome back. It's Kathleen and Joel. Very good. I didn't think you were going to be able to sip that that tea or hot chocolate fast enough to actually introduce yourself on time. I don't know what you're talking about. We're professionals. We don't bring drinks in the studio. So, hey, how are you doing? (laughs) Hey, this is the part of the show where we check in. Oh, wait, should we tell people what we're doing here? Oh, yeah. Uh, Topic of today is (laughs) I came up with a cool name, Um, but it's kind of losing your identity in parenthood, um, which I called mommy martyrdom, but because that's kind of sexist and doesn't involve our dads and it can happen to dads too, it's not a great name. So losing your identity in parenthood. Okay, now we can check in. So now everybody turn to your spouse, who I assume you all sit down and listen to turn this Turn to your partner. And check Do-si-do. in. How are you doing, partner? Everyone, two by two. No, um, I'm fine. I had, this is exactly what I said last week, though. I had a very emotional, emotionally volatile week at work, um, which ended up being fine and everything has leveled out. Um, and yesterday was just a very, very, very rough day. And today was a very, very productive light um like i just got an amazing amount done when i was in the office and then i worked in the backyard and like killed four trees but like on purpose um which is a new new way of killing plants for you (laughs) yes they're like dead they're on our fence line they need to come up for us to replace our fence and it was literally just me kind of working stuff out through a shovel um and it and it worked actually how are you i'm good I should have thought about how I was doing while you were talking, but, but you I was paying good. attention to you instead. Uh, yeah, no, work has been not volatile at all. Um, some like big projects that were on my plate, I got off my plate, and I'm feeling. That really reminds me of that commercial, that bounty commercial with the meatball. They get it up, and it ball ah, and then it lands in the bulldogs, and the bulldog goes yeah. So when you're checking in with your spouse, don't interrupt them during their check-in. Oh, my gosh. No, um, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm doing great. Uh, the kids are fine. They both have cold, but Dane went to sleep tonight for the first night in three nights without his inhaler. So I'm going to call yeah. that progress. Levi went to sleep pretty quickly, but he yes. also took a dry erase marker and oh, yeah. colored about on that. everything in, our green, in the house. Yeah, it was bad. It was fine, except for the upholstery elements, because the magic eraser is, in fact, magic and get, well, oh, and he and, refuses to, uh, this kid, he refuses to admit fault in any way, in any like, form. It's both probably really developmentally appropriate and very troubling, um, because his level of determination is, I mean, he would, I think he would, I think he would die before admitting fault right now. Like he would, if you See, told him he had to jump off a cliff. You say troubling. I say, I finally know who his father is. <laughs> so good for you because he sure doesn't look like you. And now you know that you you are in fact genetically related because he's a stubborn jerk like his daddy. Uh, I wouldn't say stubborn jerk. I would say. He's acting like a stubborn jerk. Yeah, I know. The other day I told him to take a deep breath when he was crying and he held his breath. <laughs> 
Well, then maybe he's your brother's. I mean, not really, but. He does look like baby Seth. All right. So, okay, we're all checked in. <laughs> On that note. Let's get to our topic today. So today's topic is about getting so wrapped up in parenting that we start saying things like we do anything for our kids or where we just completely lose, um, where we completely put our identity in our role as a parent. Yeah. It's that gray fuzzy line between, you know, making sure they're taken care of and paying off the high school athletic coach to Photoshop their picture into onto teams. Yeah. I mean, we... <laughs> We, there is a culture, like an, a genuine existing American culture that keeps getting, I think, stronger and stronger where people are like, well, I would do anything for my kids. And they say it with pride. And I, my response to that is like, oh, that sounds like I, I don't think you know what you're saying. I love my kids, but I would not compromise my integrity for them. I would not. I mean, there's lots of things I would not do for my children. Um, partially because it's not in their best interest and partially because it's just not who I am at my core. Yeah. It's hard though. And I think we should acknowledge up front that it's a really understandable, I'm going to say trap to fall in. Yeah. Even though it's not like a trap. It is the cultural norm. And, well, and it is taking care of your kids is good. Mm -hmm. It's not just that you're, you know, you're drinking too much or you're, you know, spending too much money on cars or whatever yeah. vice you it's have. It's a weird sin. It's a good thing to take care of your kids. And when people say, I would do anything for my kid, they really, you know, they mean, I love my kid and I would go to extraordinary lengths to help them. I will do my best for them. And that's good. You yeah. should do your best for your it's kids. It's biblical. Um, if you look to, where am I? I'm in John 15, 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus speaking, that means die on the cross. A greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends um, and certainly for your kid. Um, but the thing about that is like. It's easy to get lost. Well, it's 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 it goes back to that idea that we've talked about in previous episodes of what is God calling you to suffer for? Um, and it doesn't say to lose yourself. Cause I mean, you could say, well, I would do anything for my kids, including sell my soul. And it's like, well, no, that that's not what God wants. Um, and so that's kind of what we're we're going through today. God wants your kids to grow up and be healthy, happy, productive members of society, or maybe not kingdom productive. bringers. Kingdom bringers. I love all of those things that you said. I don't care about those that's things. I, I want meant. them to be kingdom yeah, bringers. But they're not going to be kingdom bringers if if you, if you sell your soul and model if that. If you for sacrifice them. your life and your sanity to them, and then all they know is a crazy person, right? And we'll get to that when we get to the practical aspects of it. So one of the things that I um, wanted to start with as kind of a preliminary thing was who's really a danger for this? Um, because I think that when you look at it as an issue, like losing your identity to your role as a parent, I think mostly we tend to think of stay-at-home moms um, because it is the center of the life that they have structured for themselves. But I have my argument for why it's almost worse for work-at-home moms or working moms, um, and that is that in the times that I have worked and the times that I have um, been away from my kids um, working, the time that I spend with them, I become so obsessed with giving them my full self um, that I don't look to the other things in my life that are call that are calling at me. Um, so I, 
I think for a work at home mom, the guilt that comes with being away from your kids means that the way that you act when you're back with them um, is you're more likely to fall into this trap of of becoming a martyr for your kids. Mm-hmm. And then you and then I asked you, well, what do you think dads are really in danger of this? And you actually had a pretty good response. Yeah, I think at least the guys I talk to, right, it's you kind of put yourself into work and taking care of the family and making sure everyone's provided for materially food, clothing, that kind of thing, which again is a good thing. Um, but then you kind of sacrifice spending time with your kids. You sacrifice interacting with your kids because you're too tired from work because you worked hard and which is good. You should work hard, but right. It's that balance that we're trying to find here that you start to lose your identity in being the provider. And you were telling me something about retirement and, and what happens to especially men when they retire. Yeah. Really interesting study of, it would be our grandparents generation. Um, but it's, it's really just people really who are full-time workers. It's just that mostly people are grandpa- just, generation that grandparents were men. Or men. Um, but people who were full-time workers who, when they retire, there's like a huge spike in deaths in those next few years and at least the paper I read on it was their conclusion was it's because your whole identity, your job is that job. And then when you quit that job, who are you? You're nothing. And unless you can figure out who you are and what your purpose is, you just die. Like your body just gives up. And I think the same thing can happen with families where when you wrap your whole identity up in your family and then and we'll and talk really about not it. just like your family, not just like your love for your family, but, but your 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 role as a parent. Yeah. And your your interactions with your kid and how your kids interact with you and how that all builds you up. And then like that can it's just gonna kill you. It's not gonna end well. Um and so we kind of broke it down into three areas where this I would do anything for my kids or I am a mom first um, kind of thing or I'm a dad first or I'm a dad or mom only becomes very problematic. Um, The three areas are that it is spiritually dangerous, relationally damaging, and um, just practically not a very good idea. Um, So to start with the one that I think is the most obvious to me um, is the, the spiritual danger. And this reminds me of a scene right when I was first becoming a Christian. One of the first books that you suggested that I read, probably before I picked up a Bible, was A Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. And it's a great book. If you haven't read it, C.S. Lewis is amazing. I have read it. I read it. Bad theology. Ten years it's ago. Bad sure. Theology, but it's great. I guess not it, bad theology. Um, it's bad biblical interpretation, but it's good. It has a good message. Yeah. Well, so one of the scenes that I remember that like stuck out and like immediately was understandable to me was the mom basically searching heaven for her son. And she like, where she like couldn't get to heaven, really. It was like, you know, it's all very like symbolic or whatever, because she was so concerned with seeing her son. And it was like the idea that her priorities were out of whack, that, you know, she was going to go be with Jesus. And all she could focus on was, where's my son? Where is my son? Her love for her son was getting in the way of finding heaven, finding paradise. And so um, that is the the first big concern is that your children become an idol. Um, And that takes me to like, again, we go back to this like big commandment, right? Mark 12, 30. 
And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. What is the most important commandment? Yes, I should have started at 29 because the question was, what is the most important one? And that was Jesus's answer. And if the, saith the, Lord, right? the most important thing is to love God and you are um, replacing God in your heart with your child, that's not what we're called to do. Yeah. And anytime you replace God with something ungodly, it never works out, even if it's your child. And even if your child happens to be perfect, which mine are, <laughs> it, it's just not going to work out. It's not going to fill that hole. And when you replace the best, I mean, that's what does that really look like? It's when you have an idea of what your kid's best interest is and you um, pursue that best interest, which is, by the way, your idea of what their best interest is, not what God's idea of it is. When you pursue either a worldly or your own idea of their best interests um, and in a way more than you pursue the will of God. Um, and that is something that I think so many Christian parents, I just think of like, um, this is maybe a super oversimplified idea, but where somebody's like, well, my kid has to get into a good college. They have to do their sport because that's the way they're going to get into the best college. And they're going to have to, you know, not go to church for six Sundays over the next 12 um, because their sport requires it. And it's like, okay, well, you're, you're putting the best interest of your child as you perceive it um, above being part of a church community. And um, well, I wouldn't condemn every person who made that choice every time. I'm just, it, it is something that is, it shows you how easy it is to fall into that yeah. idea. And when you're showing your kid that, right, they're the God in your life, that they're what is most important to you over your relationship with your spouse, over your relationship with God, what are we passing on to that kid? What are we teaching them is important? What are we teaching them to live? Then they grow up and you want them to go to church and you want them to be, you know, part of the kingdom. You stumbled into our second spiritual danger, which is that you are being a stumbling block for your kid. The stumbling block idea comes up over and over again in scripture, where basically something that you do causes someone else to sin. And as a parent, the last thing that I want to do for my kid is to inspire them or cause them to sin by my actions. Um, and this is just one of those things when you are modeling and teaching them how to act in the world um, by making your relationship the primary relationship of their life, you are teaching their kids that their success or happiness and their relationship with you is primary and it causes them. It's like a it's like the great it's like the child of your idolatry. It causes inspires them into idolatry. And, and the sin rolls downhill. It's, yes. Right. The Bible says that the sins of a father are visited on their son for seven generations. And that doesn't I'm not mean, sure that that's exactly how well, that's applied. Well, but it doesn't mean God's going to punish you for seven generations. It means, right, my my great-grandfather, when people tell stories about him and, like, his personality defects, like his temper, the way he reacted to the world, like, I can see that filtering down through the generations. Mm -hmm. The way you treat your kids and you show your kids, this is how you re interact with God— God is important, but not as important as making sure your kids get what they need or that you take care of your kids. Like even that's one of the things too that I just wanted to like hit on is like even the idea of your kids' happiness. It's not just their worldly success, but your idea of, well, I just want them to be happy and healthy. And it's like, well, yeah, me too, but not at the expense of what 
God's will is. And by focusing on the wrong thing, you can really miss the boat as far as what God's will is. Yes. And speaking of that, um, the third spiritual problem with um, the the mommy martyrdom or the identity issue is that you in only seeing yourself as a parent um, could be ignoring a call to your own personal ministry. We did like a study at our church on Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And this is just the scripture on that. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And the idea there is, and the idea especially in our tradition, because we are Lutherans, is that we are all, we all have a ministry. And one of my ministries is being a parent. In fact, it may be Maybe not because I'm called to professional ministry and I have, I'm going to have a whole career doing actual teaching, but my parenting is probably my number one ministry in this world. But I certainly have a call in my life other than my role as a parent. And if I had used being a parent as an excuse to ignore that ministry, um, that would have been straight up disobedience to the will of God. Um, what a good excuse. I can't help. I have the kids. I can't I mean, be a, there on Saturday. I have the kids. And that's the thing is it is absolutely a practical for some people in it. Like it's been practical for us, like that you can't do certain things because your children are, it's just, you can't figure out where to put them yeah, and they can't be there. church because the kids were sick. Yeah. I mean, but. It happens. There is, that's, that's a Sunday or a season of your life, but that is not your life. And um, there are people who will put away. Um, their whole call or will put away decades of their life to the idea that, that they are only a parent during that time or they are only a parent by definition and will not listen for what God, what else God has for them during that time. And sometimes it's going to hurt and sometimes it's going to hurt your kids by the standards of the world. Um, you're going to have to put them in more childcare or you're going to have to work through, I mean, think of every pastor's kid in the world that sits there like, fumbling in the stacking chairs while they're ignored like i mean you know yeah i fumbled in some stacking chairs yeah <laughs> um yeah. and our poor I, kids have found toys around the church campus um like just things that they could play with because they're stuck while we blow up 300 balloons and that's part of their life um and part of me feels guilty about that and part of that means they're sitting there watching what it means to serve god even if it is blowing up 300 balloons um so it's just using them as an excuse to ignore a call, that's not there. They're not your hall pass. That's not what they're there for. And then that takes you to our second big problem. So that, those are the reasons it's spiritually dangerous. Here are the reasons it is relationally dangerous. The first one is that, um, and this is one that we've dealt with, um, I think firsthand is the, uh, it dishonors your marriage to make your primary relationship in your life. Uh, you, your relationship with your kids. Yeah. Stop dishonoring me. Yeah. So uh, Ephesians 531, therefore man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And um, the idea there, right? Your primary relationship in the world is your relationship with God. But like your spouse is part of that relationship. Once you are married, you know, they're connected to God. You are connected to God. You are connected to each other and it's part of a triangle and they're the only triangle you've got. Um, that's the, the 
primary human relationship in the world if you decide to have that. And when you replace your spouse as the primary human relationship with your child, um, that's not what the Bible tells calls us to do. Yeah. And it it's also, it's not, you're not making anyone happy. You're going to end up in an unhappy relationship because you ignored it. You know, you ignore a plant long enough, you don't water it, it's going to die. And then what do your kids see? Again, your kids, you're teaching your kids what a marriage looks like. So they're going to grow up and be in an unhappy marriage. And, yeah. And you're... And they're going to wonder why, because it's like, oh, I, my mom loved me so much. Like, why? And it's like, well, because they didn't... This is, let's put it this way. You don't have to be a Christian for this to ruin your marriage. (laughs) Like the idea of putting your kids before your spouse. um, It's, it's, I mean, it is biblical. It is truth that it's a problem. um, But um, you don't have to know about it. Um, You don't have to be like, well, according to Ephesians 531, it's like, no, it just practically ruins your marriage. Adding a stress in your life and you're adding unhappy people in your life and in your kids' lives and you're being unhappy around them, then you're going to be stressed out around them and angry at them all the time. As Dane would say, mom, you weren't you're not ha- being very nice today. Being nice today. Um, the other, the other thing. So we, this is one we've very practically um, experienced ourselves, even though we were very wary of it conceptually that, that we were the primary relationship, our vows, um, our I vows say say, we were wary. I would say I was wary. No, our vows that vows. I wrote, cause let's get real. You didn't have any part in that. So today you are my family today. Um, I put my family first and no matter how our family grows, I will remember that it is rooted in my marriage to you. Those were our wedding vows to each other. And that was based on this concept of, of not letting our identity be in our kids. And we thought of that when, before we were married and we still let it happen to some degree. Um, especially when I was working and really trying to get my work in and feeling like I was disregarding the kids in order to do it. And then you would come home and you would want to go on a date. You would want to spend time with me, with just you and me. And for about two years, I'm um, sorry, more than two years, um, four years, because I'm talking about two years into our second kid's life, I straight up rejected the idea because I felt like our kids were owed more of me than they were getting. And the reality is, even if the kids weren't getting enough of me, you weren't getting any of me. And we went to our small group and without talking about too much of the details of our small group, they straight up were like, you guys need to get it together and go on a date. Um, because I mean, I, I, we had been going to small group for like years at that point, And I had never actually felt like a moment of conviction or change, but I just remember feeling that like hotness on my cheeks and feeling like I was going to cry in front of all those people because I knew how right they were. Um, but I also had so much guilt with regard to the kids. Yeah. So we started a podcast. Wait, Not yeah. this one, actually. <laughs> yes, that is we true. We started I a movie about podcast that. so that we would be forced by the like monthly reoccurring payment on our movie pass account. Yes. We'd be forced to to go see a movie. We have to put out a podcast every month and um and this is another, I mean, this it's podcast, this is our date. <laughs> I mean, but this isn't just a date. The podcast that we're doing now, right? It requires us to talk on Monday about our topic, talk on Tuesday about our outline, um, usually record on Wednesday. Um, and, and it does require us to really dig in and have real conversations about real things. Um, so it was just about prioritizing and granted 
our kids are now three and, and yeah. almost five. So it is possible. But they've but, gone to bed at the same time their whole life. No, but here's the thing. The point is that when they hit three and five and this sort of thing, not everyone has to start a podcast, but when your margin comes up, you take it and you don't just let the pattern and the habit of the way you've yeah. always done things um, define what your marriage is in the future. And it's not just about having meaningful conversations. It's about, I mean, it's just the time, just spending yeah. time together, interacting with one another. You are important. Yeah. Where you're, <laughs> I mean, even if you're playing on your phone, you're talking to them on the same topic. You're not doing, you're not watching a show or reading a book or doing something that takes your attention. Um, and that's right. The joke you like to make fun of me for being like, hey, check in with your spouse, y'all. It's check-in time. But like, really, it's check-in time. Yeah. I mean, even if it's just once a week, check in and just say, hey. Checking I make in. fun of you because for I the am, next ten minutes when I am listening to podcasts, I am never anywhere near you, and so like I assume everybody else. That's I know, true too. but I'm just reminding them. Hey, you listen to our podcast today when you get home from work, or after dinner, when you know before you get up from the table. Say, "Whoa, I'm setting a timer for ten minutes, and we're going to chat." Tell me about you. Yeah, how was your day? How are things? Um, the second relational problem with regard to putting your identity in your role as a parent is it puts way too much pressure on your kids. Um, if your worth is dependent on them, their failures become doubled. And if your happiness is dependent on theirs, their grief becomes doubled. And um, it's just, I I don't want my kids to feel the weight of... Of your failure to... <laughs> Right. To have my own life. That's what it is. Because it's their, like, oh, you don't want them to feel the weight of their failure. No, they should feel the weight of their failure because that's how you learn and grow. Yeah. But I don't want their failure to be magnified because of my failure to be a good parent. Yeah. Well, not just to be a good, I mean, when you're you're defining being a good parent, um, to having a life that is separate and distinct of theirs, having an identity that is separate and distinct uh, of my role from a parent, it doesn't mean I have to be, it doesn't mean I have to work. It doesn't mean I have to have a crazy hobby. It just means that I need to be me separate from mom. And um, if I don't have that, then when, then there's just guilt. Um, mm-hmm. on, and I don't want that for my kid. Yeah. Um, there's the other reality on the same thing is it puts too much pressure on your kids um, when they grow up and get married and they do, like God willing, have that triangle relationship between them and their spouse and God. and you're still sitting there like awkwardly like, hey, like, Dane, mommy's still here. And it's like, yeah, no, that, mommy still needs you. No, that's that that they need to be in their triangle. He needs his own triangle. Um, I'm not a part of it. It's not a big triangle. It's not a square or a rhombus. Um, it's it's them and God. Um, and so uh, that's the other big problem that could come up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that I mean, that's hurting your kids. Right. You're hitting them twice. Yes. It's just not fair. Um, so, just hit them the first time by ignoring <laughs> them and paying attention to your spouse. Don't emotionally hit them. Don't uh, do it twice. Um, so there's sp- the spiritual damage, the relational damage, and then here's just like the reasons that this just practic- practically does not make sense. Okay, first of all, your kids, in theory, will only be living with you for 18 years. They may... Unless they're millennials. Yes, unless they're millennials. (laughs) Then they'll come back for three. Reality is their identity is only wrapped up in you in a healthy way for like 
13 of those years or yeah i mean well there's like a year and a half at the beginning where they're not really a thing <laughs> and then hopefully by the time they hit 18 they're they're not going to be an adult but they but, have some like ideas of the world and they've well, challenged you and and, and they're there i don't know oh it'd be really interesting we know nothing developmentally about when this happened but there has to be a point when they're like oh yeah i'm my own person and i'm gonna i am now moving towards and probably before 13 but but point being it's such a short period of your own life like mm-hmm. 13 of 80 years if you wrap up your whole identity in it you're going to be disappointed for a lot of those years. <laughs> yeah. And again, you're going to hit that retirement age when they go to college. Um, and maybe it's not when they go to college, right? Because kind of the the standard now is kids come home from college and kids don't get married. They don't move into their own families. They're still part of your immediate family until after. So maybe it's after college. Maybe it's in grad school. They, you know, that first time though, they call up and say, can't make it home for Christmas, Mom. Yeah. I'm going to. Oh, I don't even I'm going think to, about you know, it. You know, so and so's house for Christmas. And then, then what do you do? Well, you know, or oh, I'm we, going to Cambodia, or I'm going yeah, into the only, military, or I'm going to. We only have Levi to... for Christmas, and I can't be happy if I don't have. I mean, my whole family. If one of our kids is going to find a spouse and move away, Levi's going to yeah. be first. Dane's going to be in the basement playing, Still. Like, programming computers and yeah, stuff. Yeah, well, he and his. Unless his he current and his girlfriend best friend have yeah. already decided they're B- going to live with us. each yeah. other. Yeah. Um, it just you're setting your kids up to lose, and you're setting yourself up to get real depressed in 18 years, and then get really lost. Yeah. Um, and, oh, it's one of yes. And then your kids are going to see that, and they're going to feel crappy because you feel crappy, and they made you feel crappy, and now I feel crappy that you feel crappy, now you feel crappy that I'm, and it's just a downward spiral. It's all downhill from here, folks. Let's get back uphill. Okay. The other thing it does, it just does not set your kids up for success. Um, the more you hold on, the less they'll learn to do for themselves. I mean, this is just so stupid to even say out loud. But, like, it seems stupid to say out loud that they need to learn to fail. They need to learn to cope. They need to learn to process. They need to learn to relate to people. They need to learn to do their own laundry. They need to learn to, whoa, 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 whoa. I know you brought your laundry home in college and I'm embarrassed to be your wife, but you are good at laundry now. So I'm going to give I you I eventually credit. learned to do my own laundry. You did. Around junior year. <laughs> I bought like 60 pairs of underwear in college so that I could just never do my laundry. And you're embarrassed by me. Yeah. That's um, I think a great example. At least I had clean underwear. That is like a really small example, but that kind of makes the point is we... We never, like Dane was very slow to learn to put on his own clothes. Yes, not because he's not Forgot smart. About that, he's very smart, but it was. We easier, just never let him. It was easier to just let it to do it for him. It was easier to do it for him, and in the long run, it was not easier to do it for him. No, it's much easier now that he can dress himself. But yeah, we, we were looking at that short short term, and we didn't keep our eyes on the kingdom. Yep. Gotta keep your eyes on the kingdom, people. The kingdom Metaphorically. of clothes. Yes, no, that, Metaphorically. That, that's very true. That your is kids exactly. Need to be able to we dress have already, themselves. We have already failed in this area. We had our armor of God talk last week, and your kids need to be able to put on their own armor. We talked about this previously too. That your kids need a relationship with God that you are not a part of. Um, if you are inextric- inextricably intertwined with your kid, um, they cannot develop that relationship, and um, their relationship. Big news flash. 
I'm just realizing this so much in like every kid and parent duo I see, but their relationship with God may be very different than yours. And that is not up for you to decide what it looks like. And they need to be able to develop that relationship on their own if they're going to have any hope of having it into adulthood. Yeah. You don't want them to be, I go to church when I visit mom people. You want them to be, I go to church all the time for me. And that's... You don't want them them to do anything for you, but you don't want them to go to church for you. Yes. Because then they're not going to go to church for I do not want my kids to go to church for me. Yeah. I do not want that. That is the last thing I want in the world. I would... Wherever they come home from and... They're going to go to church. And then when they go back to their house and their family, they're not. Yep. I do not want that. And um, one of the things that um, that people do is we have hobbies. I was trying to think of our friends. Um, we have a couple of friends that are like annoyingly pretty and um, are they're really into fitness. And I have um, I'm also part of like a creative community of like all these moms and women that are really into like um, art and writing and all of that stuff. And, um, I just, th- and we have our goddaughter's mom is like a really great baker. And, um, so is my, when my best friend's a great baker, Oh, both of my really good friends are, are bakers. And it's like these, all my we friends could, are candlestick makers. We could discard these things, these hobbies as things that are not important to the kingdom of God, but I gave them a new name. I call them instead of hobbies, I'm calling them secondary life ministries. Um, because they're not obvious ministries, like the calls that, that God puts on your life to like, you know, go preach the gospel to this person, go teach, um, Sunday school, go, um, care for this person or, or, or serve them communion in their uh, hospital bed. But through baking, through a fitness community, through, um, your creativity, your art, there are ways you can emulate God and reach people for God. Um, that you may not have been able to see on the front end of the hobby. And I think pursuing those things that God caused us to like, God made us for, um, is also a part of being obedient to God and and Also doing just helps well. you stay sane sometimes. Yes. Um, so just to kind of wrap up that part, um, this whole conversation reminded me of ringing, reading King Lear in um, like senior English. And I remember um, the whole story is the King Lear has his three daughters, Reagan and Goneril and um, Cordelia and Cordelia and Reagan and Goneril are like, oh, dad, you're so great. We love you with flowers and blah, 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 blah. And you are the best king and blah, blah, blah. And Cordelia is like, you know what, dad? I love you like a dad. I love you like a, a kid and a dad should love each other. She said, I have it written down here. Unhappy that I am. I cannot heave my heart into my mouth. I love your majesty according to my bond no more, no less. And it doesn't sound like the flowery way that we think of loving our kids, but the best way to love our kid is according to the bond that, that God made between us and not in some blown up over dramatic, whatever. Yes. Yeah. God, not in a worldly way, in a godly way. Yes. The way God created us to live, to be happy. And so that takes us to our next segment. So that came up. So Dane is processing as we approach Easter and also the fourth Friday, sorry, first fourth Sunday of the month. They always do. Jesus died and rose again um, for their Sunday school point. And um, he asked me the other day, he goes, mommy, was Jesus just pretending to be dead? <laughs> and I wish I could say that I was like, isn't that cute or oh no he doesn't understand but I was like 
yeah. Um, because that is a question that I get a lot from my older Sunday school kids, which means that he is getting the message um, and understanding the death and resurrection and um, how it kind of went down at a younger age um, with our new curriculum than, than maybe they would have in the past. Um, so we explain, no, Jesus really did die. And that's why his resurrection is such a great show of power. And um, I was just, I, I guess it's not that big of a deal. I was just so happy to hear that question because it's such a good question. It comes up so much among the kids. And for yeah. him to be literally in the middle of our day processing that part of. It's one of the first theological questions. I mean, that's what the Gnostics got in trouble for in North Africa, Egyptish. He Googled uh, it, guys. No. First of all, I remember this from confirmation class. Thank you, Dad. He confirmed it with Google, guys. Anyways, it's one of the first questions that we had as Christianity, and you answered it correctly. We decided the Gnostics were heretics, and we kicked them out. <laughs> I don't remember if we kicked them out with swords or with words, but I bet it wasn't nice. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's pray out. Lord, help me to remember that you are the center of my life, that you blessed me with two beautiful boys, that I promised you that I would give them back to you, that I would not obsess over them and make them the whole center of my identity. And help me and Joel and any parent listening to this that has a tendency to obsess over their kids and to be a martyr for their kids, to remember that part of being a parent is modeling a healthy and passionate relationship with you and help that to be what my kids see open their eyes to that relationship and um, help me to see when I am not doing such a great job. And in Jesus name, amen. amen. Thanks for listening. Please take a second to rate and subscribe to this podcast. It helps others to find us and to be hashtag blessed by the discussions that we have here. If you want to contact us, you can reach us on Instagram at Christ in the Chaos, or you can email us at Christ in the Chaos Pod at gmail.com. Until next week, we hope you have a peaceful week, but even if you don't, remember that you can find us and Jesus waiting for you in the chaos.